You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Today I have uh, Shay- Shaheen Shayen, right? That's how you pronounce it, right? With me. Yep. And uh, um, he, his name might not ring a, a bell for a lot of people, but his uh, legacy certainly does, I would say. Uh, you are the inventor of uh, vape, uh, vaping as it is today, and I know you don't endorse that as a as a uh, technology, but uh, actually today I heard on the radio, and today being the 29th of uh, October 2021, uh, here in the UK, they are now looking to, uh, allow, or uh, doctors are going to be able to prescribe vaping as a means for um, uh, quitting smoking. Um, so, and I have you to thank for me being able to quit smoking myself in 2012, because I used vaping for that purpose. So. Thank you very much, Shane. <laughs> You're welcome. But, uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, and you have an illustrious uh, past in terms of building businesses, promoting brands, uh, and now more recently you are all about Amazon and building up uh, Amazon, uh, your courses with the Amazon Mastery and helping people to become kind of the uh, entrepreneurs of their dreams on Amazon. But uh, Shane, uh, why don't welcome first of all, and uh, why don't you give us a little bit, kind of a background? I know you have a, a, a interesting background in terms of how you got started, you know, uh, within your teenage years, and I want to delve into that a little bit deeper. But give the audience a bit of a background to uh, where you come from in uh, in uh, your entrepreneurial uh, track, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on, Christopher. I'm really looking forward to our conversation here. I started off when I was very young. My first business I started when I was 15, and I had actually left home. We came from Iran as immigrants into the United States. was a very tough transition. I didn't speak any English when I moved to this country. And my folks were middle class in Iran, when we moved to the United States, we were solid poor. We left everything behind, literally ran to the plane, I remember, with just the clothes on our back. And when we got here, life was difficult. And by the time I was 15, I thought to myself, man, you know, I'm tired of being a second class, third class citizen. Uh, How do I get past that? And it was through wealth. Well, how do you get wealth? My folks only knew one thing. They said, you know, become a doctor. You know, you become a doctor, you will be successful. And I thought, if that's the pinnacle of fucking success, I'm out. So I packed my bags and I left. Didn't want to become a doctor. Didn't want to go to school for endless years. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to survive. I slept in these abandoned buildings and these buildings that were under construction. I managed to get the, the, the codes to get in and I would go in before the builders or the realtors were in. I would sleep in these like luxury buildings and then I would be gone, clean up and, and leave before the people would come in the morning and I would be fine. I managed to get myself a mentor, quite, quite a magical human being. Mm. 
by hanging out at the community college, I realized I get free food at the community college. So I hung out at the community college to eat, you know, you could use the gym and, and whatever. And I met a mentor. And through this mentor, I entered into the electronic music scene, the dance scene, the rave scene at that time. And at that time, there was a drug called ecstasy, MDMA, methyldioxymethamphetamine, which had become popularized throughout the world. The supply of it was coming from Europe, mainly from England and Holland. And the supply had dried up. They didn't know how to make it so well in the United States. It's a very difficult drug to produce and synthesize. And I remember I managed to get myself a girlfriend. Her father was superintendent of some school district somewhere, very stuffy guy with a suit. And I managed to convince her to let me come in through the back door as he was leaving to work through the front door and to cook up prototypes of products in her kitchen. Now, realizing that I was very bad at crime from my adolescence, I would get caught at any criminal activity I did when I was in grade school, and we did a lot of them, I realized that I wasn't going to be getting into real drugs. So I thought to myself, what if I could create a legal alternative to ecstasy that had no side effects, that was all natural, that was legal, and I could sell it through the drug dealers at the clubs? So I started producing these prototypes in this girl's kitchen, in her dad's kitchen when he was away. And the second he'd come home, I'd go back through the back door and I'd get out of there. And one day came up with a formula that worked and it worked really well. And I had my magic pill. I didn't have enough money to buy the machine, to put the herbal ingredients. It was all natural to put the herbal ingredients in capsules because you have to buy a machine for that. I didn't have enough money for that. So we would roll up the herbs. I would put them in the oven and then we'd fill them into these little baggies. And I walked into a a club. I walked up to the biggest drug dealer I, I could find. And I managed to convince him to sell them. And he did. And it went from one guy to 1,000 guys to 10,000 guys until one day my company's legitimized. Larry Flint was buying them to sell in all the uh, sex stores in LA. We were selling them through all the new age bookstores. We were selling them through Urban Outfitters and 7-Eleven and all the big supermarkets and chains throughout the United States. We were in 30,000 plus stores. We had our own franchise stores. A lot of these smaller level drug dealers had become legitimized because they stopped selling drugs. They were making more money doing my thing. I made more millionaires in that day, I think, than anybody in that business. (laughs) And they they had no risk. They, They wouldn't go to jail for it. And one day I walk into my office. I had a collection of exotic cars. I had the brand new NSX that came out. I had Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Porsches. I had a big limousine that would drive me everywhere. I'd take helicopter trips and planes and boats and all that stuff. I had all those things. And I remember driving up. uh, I had fallen asleep drooling on the passenger seat of a Lamborghini. Not a good look. It's not good for those seats. (laughs) And I, I woke up and I walked into my office. All the staff were there. My secretary was pale white. And she said, Shaheen, we got to tell you this. And I said, what? And she said, oh, the news broke that we broke a billion dollars in revenue. This is pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-mobile phones. We're talking early 90s. I'm still pretty much a teenager. Yeah. And thinking to myself, holy shit. I don't know how much a billion dollars is. Literally, I did not know how much a billion dollars of money was. 
And from there, it became a wild ride, man. Uh, you know, there was there was elements of it. And I, by the way, I write about this in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. Uh, that book is out now on Amazon, Kindle, uh, Audible, uh, and whatnot. Um, there'll be, so that'll that'll be a link in the uh, show notes on that. So appreciate it. Yeah. So that was a wild ride. And from there, I went on to solving the problem of humans have been smoking for thousands of years. So, you know, no one's figured out a solution to the fact that it creates smoke, tar, and carbon monoxide, mm-hmm. uh, the three carcinogenic elements that come with smoking. So we invented the first digital portable vaporizer, put yeah. that out on the market, and, and pretty much sparked the whole uh, vape scene that was going on. All that vape technology that's out now pretty much came from either us or some of the patents and technology that we built back in those days. Um, and from there, I went on to developing brain supplements, selling them on an Amazon platform, realized we're really fucking good at Amazon. And people started coming to me saying, hey, how do you do this Amazon thing? How do I start a business on Amazon and make money? And we started a training program. And that's what my Amazon mastery is. I train everyday people all over the world how to start Amazon businesses and successfully create recurring revenue. So that's kind of the story in a, in a short in a, in a nutshell, yeah. I had one of your podcasts, I watched one of your podcasts, and uh, yeah, the, I know the story is uh, far longer than that. But uh, <laughs> so, you, uh, just out of curiosity, that were there not a bunch of uh, angry, dangerous people that you pissed off since you nudged them out of the uh, scene, really? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, more so than that, we, you know, at some point the mob wanted to get involved. The Japanese Yakuza men showed up in my office with a briefcase uh, and a duffel bag with a million dollars cash and an invitation, private airplane out to Tokyo. I got to Tokyo. I didn't realize what was going on. My partner, my, my Japanese business partner at the time said it was fine. Turns out we were dealing with the head of the Yakuza family, one of the heads of the Yakuza family, and they wanted to take over our entire business. So there was some very tricky negotiating that had to be done to get me out of that one alive. The government got involved at some point. So it was a, it was a, the herbal ecstasy phenomenon is a wild ride. And again, anyone that's interested, I recommend checking out the book yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, I tell, tell the whole story. We just got a film deal. So I'm very excited. Yeah, I know. That's very film. exciting. I'll, I'll be uh, definitely watching that movie as well. So as well as reading your book. So um, the, uh, so yeah, I mean, one, one aspect that is really curious to me as well is the, you know, you leave home at 15, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not totally unheard of, but literally you go with the clothes on your back and you decide to essentially become homeless. Um, so now you're in a precarious situation in terms of, uh, you know, make it a survival, essentially. Uh, so you are at the bottom of uh, <laughs> the Maslow's uh, uh, hierarchy of needs uh, trying to survive now what is the drive that uh, I first of all brings you out of your home the comfort or relative safety of your home to take that step into just you know blindly go into the uh, unknown um, and then from there then being able to take that step into becoming this immensely successful uh, 
purveyor or seller of the herbal ecstasy as it were? That's a really good question. And to understand that, we have to understand the human psychology, which is what I know you your expertise is in. I wouldn't say expertise, fact, but interest at least. <laughs> yeah. So, so we rewind a little bit to when we came to this country. Yeah. I didn't speak the language. Yeah. I remember every day I thought it was my job to receive an ass kicking three times a day. I would go into the yard and everybody hated me. All the kids would beat up on me because I didn't speak English. I was not from this country. It was the time of Iran-Contra. But no matter what happened, I would always fucking get up. And I would not let them beat down my spirit, even though they could beat my body down. And eventually I got good and I learned how to fight and they stopped beating down on me because I was beaten back at them. But it's that mentality. It's that type of transversing adversity to arrive at a place where you have thick skin, you have grit you have resilience that brings you to this attitude that you can do anything and that nobody is going to beat you down. So by the time I was 15, a lot of people talk about fear of failure. Mm -hmm. For me, it wasn't fear of failure. It was fear of not living up to my potential fear of not succeeding because they always say you know the the worst thing in in the world is a man on his deathbed talking about all the things that he could have done i didn't want to be that guy yeah and i was willing to do whatever it took to get what i wanted i was willing to eat relish and ketchup from hot dog stands, which I did for months. Right. I went to the store. It was very cheap to buy these hundred packs of these corn tortillas. And I'd go to the hot dog stands and I'd fill it with relish and ketchup and I would eat that. It was fine. I was willing to, to, to sleep wherever I could lay my head. It was fine. Nothing was going to stop me from getting what I wanted. I was not going to let them, the outside world, beat me down on the inside. So the, the person that gets up this you know kid who gets stands up you know brushes off the dust from his shoulders as you're getting up from yet another beat down uh does the motivation that builds up uh, is that fueled by forgiveness or by revenge or i'm going to show them neither i think both of those things are a trap yeah the motivation is to succeed for the sake of showing yourself, to prove it to yourself that you can succeed. Because you always know if you have that grit, you have that resilience, you know deep inside you that you can succeed at pretty much anything. And you know that others have succeeded. I read all the great self-help books of the time and of the old, you know, the old dudes. I read Napoleon Hill and Augmentino. I read Wayne Dyer and Tony Robbins back in the day. I read all those guys. What from the time I was like 10 years old, I was reading that stuff. So I knew that it was possible. But there's always that little element, that inkling of self-doubt that we all have. And the only way to supersede that, the only way to override that self-doubt 
is to do it, to just get the fuck out there and fail and do it and fail and fail and fail again. Most people are so busy seeking success, they get sucked into this perfection paralysis. I can't tell you how many people I meet who come onto my course who are like, hey, man, want to make money like you, show us how to do it. And I bring them on if I think they're appropriate and I teach them how to do it. And you watch them getting myopic and stuck. Oh, man, this product that I'm going to come out with, why haven't you done it? It's been a month. Why haven't you put it out? Oh, well, mine's going to be more perfect than everybody else's, and i got to perfect this. I know people don't care that the label's a little crooked, but I care. It's bullshit. They're not shipping product. They're not living up to their potential because they're becoming paralyzed by this thought of perfection. It's a fucking excuse. The ones that win are the ones that are able to go out there and go, you know what? I'm going to put something out that's good enough. And then the rest of my fucking life, if that's what it takes, I'm going to seek excellence. Steve Jobs, in in the great book by Walter Isaacson, talked about this. When he was, Steve Jobs was obsessed with putting a dent in the universe. What's that mean when Isaacson said he wanted to put a dent in the universe? Are you going to put a dent in the universe with us? He would tell people. What that means is that he wasn't busy chasing money. Yeah, sure, it was nice and you need money to roll in those circles and to do that kind of stuff that he did. And he was a millionaire many times over. But what he cared about was excellence. Yeah. And he was fine shipping something that was good enough and then fixing it as he went along. Well, and I mean, that is how technology companies really by and large do it today is they ship out a beta version as it were. And especially in Apple's case, they have this loyal diehard following that are happy to be, you know, (laughs) testers for them. Right. Uh, And then they, you know, it's it's live uh, in market uh, testing essentially to see what works and what doesn't. And I, I think a lot of times people do accept that because there are new stuff. The the iteration or the new iterations come out so rapidly now that people really don't care. It's like, well, I'll just go to the next one. It won't be a problem. And take twenty years ago, it would take them two years to come out with a new iteration, right? Um, that's not the case today. It's we are moving in such a rapid case uh, or pace. But I do find though that there is concern in that because it becomes part of that uh, kind of consumerism. Uh, oh, I'll just buy the next one and throw this one away, kind of thing. Um, yeah. There is that uh, that challenge with it. Um, but you know, with the rapid prototyping and 3D printing and all of that coming about uh, more and more, I think we will see much more of uh, kind of people being able to update what they have as opposed to, oh, I'll throw this one away. So if you have a mobile phone, for example, if they fix something on it, they'll just send you a piece that you plug in and then off you go again. Uh, so uh, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, people look at me all the time and they're like, man, you're a millionaire. You got all this stuff, house, cars, all this stuff. They're like, what about that? uh, You know, are you going to upgrade that thing? I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm like, I'm going to take it and I'm going to fix it. I I replace batteries and things that you shouldn't replace batteries in. I've got a soldering kit. I fix shit just because I believe that objects have a, 
a spirit to them, not in a woo-woo sense, but I believe everything has a utility. And I think there's, there's like, to your point, there's great value in being able to fix something and to reuse it. The fact is that we're constantly accustomed to dopamine release now with social media, with TikTok, with Instagram, with all the stuff. We're constantly getting dopamine hits. What's that do to our brain? It changes the way that our neurons are firing in our brain. So if you have a book that you haven't read and it's hanging around and every day you're looking at that book cover, you're doing yourself a disservice. Cover any books until you're ready to read them. I'll tell you this now with a white cover or a blank cover. Why? Because your brain every day that's looking at that cover is becoming less and less interested in it. Why? Because novelty. Our yeah. brains adapted through evolution to seek novelty. Mm-hmm. And when we don't have that novelty, it's no longer interesting to us. So what do I do? Rather than upgrading my cell phone, my mobile phone, I upgrade my mobile phone case as much as possible. I've got five or six different colors of mobile phone cases. Every time I flip them out, and I don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not a teenager who's like, oh, look at this fashionable case. But the fact is that every time I swap the case out, I look at this object that I'm looking at every day, and I'm like, oh, man, it feels like a new thing. Yeah. And you can do that similarly with other things in, in your life. So sometimes you don't need to throw things away. So I, I would agree with you wholly there. Yeah, and I mean, that's the same thing with cars. You know, I could have a, a diesel Volvo V40. Uh, when the time is right, I'd like to just throw, you know, electrical engines in it. And yeah. then I could keep, granted it's a Volvo, so it probably last longer than I last. So, uh, but, you know, if... Uh, to put uh, to electrify it just put electrical engines in it and that's where you know looking at where subsidies goes that's where the subsidies should go you know don't make more cars upgrade the ones we have on the road already you know because it's uh, the 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 real pollutants is actually making the new ones (laughs) that's right i actually had that idea a while ago and i started a company where we were converting porsches uh porsche for people who don't know uh, make several models of cars, but they had one in particular that was the 911 and 912 that came in the late 1960s all the way out through the early 70s. And it was a very light car, uh, rear engine, so it made it very uh, adaptable to becoming an electric car. And I built one, uh, the first prototype for the company, and it was beautiful. We got written up as the worst electric car to ever build. Of course, the technology wasn't there. The battery technology wasn't there. And then I heard that Elon was starting his company, Tesla. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to let that guy do it. That's not, a problem. <laughs> That's not a problem that I want to be solving. It's a very complex problem. But I agree with you. You know, there's there's definitely a life to these things. But oftentimes, I think it is more a societal problem. We seek profits over excellence. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what happens. There's, there, there probably isn't as much money in fixing up old cars than there is making new ones. Oh, for sure. And that, that's where you know, big business and government goes, they go hand in hand. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship. Uh, whereas we as consumers, we... We, we look at, well, that doesn't make sense, but 
then again, we'll, we'll have to see how we solve that going forward. Um, I want to go back to kind of your evolution a bit in terms of, uh, again, going to look at the, so now you, the news has broken that you, you're a billion dollar revenue business uh, with the uh, herbal ecstasy and you're still a teenager. So over time, now this was what, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, something, right? 1990s. Yeah. So over year, over the years, how has your motivation evolved? Uh, you know, has it become uh, more less materialistic? Has it become more, um, you know, reflective and self-awareness? Kind of where has your motivation and your drive, because I can see the drive and motivation is, is uh, <laughs> intrinsic within you, uh, but how has it evolved in terms of what motivates you and what drives you every, uh, every day when you get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, great question, uh, Christopher. So first and foremost, I was never a materialistic person. I'll tell you, when I left home, I packed a bag, single backpack with everything I had in it. And when I made my first million bucks, I went out there and I bought a new pair of shoes because I knew that if I lost everything, I would at least have a new pair of shoes that I could walk wherever I wanted to with. So I bought the biggest, baddest sneakers I could. That was the first thing I bought. And I had them tied to that backpack. I didn't wear them. I had them tied to that backpack. And through the years, making millions and millions of dollars, I always had that backpack under my desk to remind me that it was all from nothing that I started from less than nothing and I could always go back to that. So I needed to keep my game together. Now I'm older, I'm 46 now as we're doing this recording in 2021 in October of 2021. And my values remain mostly the same, except right. for the fact that now I'm a father, I'm a family man. My thoughts are always family first. Mm -hmm. And what motivates me now is inspiring others to reach those levels of success. I've had my levels of success and sure, we're still making millions of dollars. Now we do it on Amazon, selling different products. We're one of the biggest manufacturers of this product called Matcha Tea. We make this product called Matcha DNA that we sell on Amazon. We sell this great brain supplement called Accelerol Focus Plus that we sell on there. And we sell over 300 different brands and products on Amazon. So we do really well with that. And I travel the world with my family and from wherever we're at, we're making money because while we sleep, someone's buying our products on Amazon. So we're, we're happy in that way. But what, what really drives me now, Christopher, is when I see somebody who has maybe heard me on a podcast and goes, you know what? I want to quit my job. I want to stop selling my fucking hours. I want to stop having to walk in and work to make somebody else rich. I want to start getting rich. How do I do that? I, I'm not in a rush. I can get rich slow. I don't have to get rich fast, but I want to get there. Show yeah. me how to do that. And then we show them. We give them our course. We, we bring them into our mastermind group and they learn from others who've been where they're at before and then one year, maybe two years down the line, they go in and they look at their boss and they give them that middle finger. They say, fuck you, I'm out. And they can say that comfortably. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. You want to have compassionate. You money. <laughs> yeah, money, money brings freedom. And it's the freedom. And if the boss, look, if the boss is a true, kind, compassionate, good-willed person, he'll be like, fuck yeah. 
I wish I had the balls to do that. Because I'll tell you, every time I said that, and I've had hundreds of jobs, I was never good at working for anybody else. Anytime I walked in and I was like, fuck you, I'm gone. And I saw them chuckle and just, you could see in their eyes that they wish they were me. They wish they could have done that. Of course. Man, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> it's an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. And I, I actually, a funny story, I tell it in my book, my book, Billion, was that, so I was at the height of my success in those days. And I remember I had a beautiful red Ferrari. I mean, I could smell the leather from here. It was like the, the nicest, it was all the fancy stuff. And I had a beautiful girlfriend. She was sitting next to me and she was a model, something like that at the time, tall, blonde girl. And we're pulling up to one of the fanciest restaurants in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, West Hollywood. And the paparazzi is out there. They're taking their photos. And I look back to maybe eight months before that, I had a shitty job working at a photocopy place. Back in those days, people made a lot of photocopies. Oh, and yes, the really. boss, but I didn't have, he knew I, I didn't have a place to live. He knew I didn't have money. And occasionally I would fall asleep behind the copy machine. I would work. I would come in in time. I was honest. I never stole anything. I, I always did my work and left, but sometimes it would be cold. So I would sleep behind the copy machine. And he was a cartoon villain, man, like the Monopoly guy. And he caught me back there and he literally started hitting me with a cane and started yelling at me, kick me out of the copy shop and never paid me my wages. Well, I'm getting out of the, the Ferrari. The valet's opening the door. This beautiful girl walks, walks out of my passenger door, high heels, looking gorgeous. Everybody's looking at us. Who is this guy? Oh, I think it's that ecstasy kid. I had long hair. This is, if you guys can see, this is what I look like. I had uh, long hair down to my shoulders. You know, I dress really funny in those days, but, you know, coming out of the super expensive car that not many people had in those days. And I look and walking down the street, at a corner, at a stop, is this man, the same guy who beat me with a cane eight months before. And he does a double take. He turns his head, turns his head again, and he knows he's seeing something, but he can't figure out what it is. Yeah. And I throw the key to the valet, and I walk straight up to him, and I shake his hand. And I said, hey, do you remember me? And it's just not computing. And then I see his fat little face turning red, <laughs> turning red. And it almost felt like that scene in Willy Wonka with Veruca Salt, where she's just blowing up and yeah. ready, to, ready to explode. He was, he was ready to explode. I, he couldn't speak a word. He was just mumbling. And I realized in that moment where I said, see you later. And he saw me going in. He saw all the people with their cameras taking pictures and the, the, you know, all the celebrities walking in and, you know, me with all these trappings of wealth going into this restaurant that I think very few people could even get into. And I knew I had arrived. I knew that I had succeeded. And it was that feeling. And again, to your earlier point, it wasn't that I'm showing him or proving to him. It was that I was proving it to myself. Yeah. So the, you were talking... Obviously, at that point, your measure of success was wealth, right? Well, my definition of freedom hasn't changed since I was 15. Right. And that's to be able to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, how I want. 
That's freedom. Money is great. Like money's fantastic. I love money. I love getting it. I love spending it. Anybody who says money's the root of all evil never had any. Anybody that says money can't buy you happiness, doesn't know where to shop. Money is fantastic. But for me, success is something greater than that. And I tell this to people oftentimes mm -hmm. that time is the new luxury. That's why when people look at a man like Jeff Bezos, you look at a guy, the founder of Amazon, now one of the richest men in the world, People think, oh, man, he's got millions of dollars. He's going to be a trillionaire soon. That's crazy. I'm like, you're missing the fucking point. This guy, forget about his personal wealth. He's made billions and billions more for other people. He's created more millionaires and billionaires than anybody else in the last 50 years. Absolutely. By allowing people to sell products on the Amazon platform by creating the world's biggest e-commerce platform. So that's what people are that's what people are missing about people like that. And I just am grateful if I can have a certain amount of impact that put a dent in the universe and get people out of the doldrum day-to-day -day TikTok existences that people feel like they're stuck in. Most people feel like they're on a fucking hamster wheel. They feel like, you know, they wake up, they go to work, they come home, the wife's there, the kids are there, they may have a little bit of time with the family, then they sleep, they wake up and they repeat it again. And you ask them, what's it all fucking for, man? What are you doing all this for? What's the fucking point of it? And they will ask people that, ask people about that. And you'll see, I mean, I'm sure in, in your profession, I know you're a coach, you, you must have this conversation a lot. But when you talk to people about that kind of thing, you realize that people have never thought about it. They're just doing it because it's the thing to do. Somebody told them that's what you do and they do it. And one day they wake up, they're 65, they're fat, the wife's fat, the kids are fat, they're living a miserable life and they're fucking thinking to themselves, how the fuck did I get here? Hmm. But then it's too late. Well, sure. Well, and I, I think one of the uh, big problems is that people don't understand or people look back on their lives and look at, oh, I've invested so much in this education. I invested so much time and effort into this job, into this career, and not thinking that it's almost like they need someone else's permission to change course of their life. And I've done that several times in my, in the, uh, with my clients in the coaching practice, uh, where I say, you know, it's okay to change your career to something that you actually will be happy in. But I've invested so much, it's okay. You, you will never lose that. You bring that with you to whatever you're doing, and that's going to become part of what makes you special in that. And they go, oh my God, you mean I can do that? It's like, yes, you're allowed. And it's this mindset of that we don't, understand that we choice is a superpower and that we are allowed to choose what we do without any without uh, with the without any punishment from anybody else you know if people judge you who cares you know you do what you, you do you and you do that damn well and just go and make yourself happy right so the you know and the reason i was asking about the measure of success uh, you know, I have no judgment as to what people 
use as their measure of success. Uh, for me, it's having uh, balance in my life. And I think that that's equivalent to what you were saying, right? You wanted to have uh, freedom to do whatever you want. I mean, you can move move into the woods in the, in the uh, cabin and live off the land and you have freedom to do whatever you want, right? Uh, you might not be able to take a private plane somewhere, <laughs> but at least you have freedom in what you are doing. And it's so it's uh, it's more the balance uh, of uh, having balance in life, right? Being able to spend time with your kids and your family. Meanwhile, you being being able to make money while you sleep, right? Yeah. Stop fucking chasing money. Stop yeah. chasing ghosts. I tell people yeah. these shiny things. We're we're inundated with them now. Mm. You look on social media. You look on TikTok. There's a guy with a Ferrari and a plane and all these shiny things. And if you just give them a couple hundred dollars, you can have all that. And you know it's bullshit. But you buy that fucking ticket. Yeah. You buy that ticket because you can say, "Oh well, I tried. I signed up for it, and I guess it just wasn't in the cards for me." And I'm going to go back to living my shitty existence that I'm totally unhappy with. And I love this quote that you use. Choice is a superpower. Absolutely. Choice is a superpower. But moreover, you have to go out there and chase your fascination. You have to go out there and chase excellence. You have to be interested in people. You have to be interested in things. You have to go out there and wonder What's inside? You have to be able to get people to give you what you want. And in order to do that, you have to exercise influence. Robert Caldini wrote in his book, Influence, that there's five elements. And we focus on a lot of them. On Amazon, we teach people how to use social proof, how to use authority, how to use likability, consistency, scarcity, reciprocity, these elements that you can master and then weave through the world and you become the master of your time. And ultimately, that's what it's about. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many boats you have, cars you have, all these expensive things you have. Like you said, some people are going to be very happy chilling out on that fjord. And you chill out on that fjord and you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're relaxed. You got control over your time. If that's good enough for you, then you do that. A lot of people don't want more. They want to have more experiences. And that's really what money's for. That's what we use it for is to buy experiences. I don't care so much about things I never did. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, you know, yeah, I like my car collections and the houses and all that stuff. It's fun. But at the end of the day, what's really meaningful to me is me and my family traveling somewhere and having an experience of another culture and other people. You know, I've, I've spent my life chasing experiences. I've been in the jungle and I've, I've, slept in the same huts with cannibals and taken ayahuasca in the jungles of Amazon before people knew what ayahuasca was before it became popularized. I've, I've traveled to insane places in Southeast Asia. I've, I've been to these places and had these experiences. And I'll tell you, those are the things that enriched my life. Yeah. It's not things, things get old. Like you said, it's that, that piece of technology where today you have it tomorrow, the battery dies, you got to toss it out. It's meaningless. It's chasing bullshit. Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, I think people, as you say, they get, they do get stuck in their rut. And it's, it's this understanding that 
uh, or getting to the point. And I think that for a lot of people, it's when you hit rock bottom in terms and uh, you know, midlife crisis or whatever it may be, um, you know, in my case, it was, uh, you know, uh, separating from uh, uh, my family as well, or my uh, ex-wife. And it's once, once you get, at least if you uh, wake up late in your life, you, you woke up early. <laughs> so for you, it was a different journey. But I think for most people, you, if you have the opportunity to crash and burn, as it were, in terms of your own identity, and you can wake up with a blank canvas, even if that's bloody scary when you wake up to that blank canvas and you go, oh crap, I don't actually know what my future looks like because now I'm not the uh, husband and the breadwinner and I, all these identities have been ripped away from me. And now I have to step into this new, whatever it's going to be and i have to start painting this new canvas right so it it does become very uh, refreshing once you can uh, get into that but i think a lot of people just dig themselves deeper as well in those cases it's a really good point christopher we all know that in order to succeed we need to change mm -hmm. change is something that most people are afraid of why Change involves danger. There's some element of danger to change. Think about it. The second you were born, you risked life and death to be born. That first journey through that tunnel is a perilous one. A lot of people don't make it. A lot of people don't make it. Just that first breath, taking that first breath is one of the most dangerous things you will ever do. And it doesn't change as you grow, as you expand on your journey as an entrepreneur, as, as a, a, a father, a mother, as a, a, a student of life, as of somebody who is introspective, somebody who is growing, you know, the growth doesn't come without change and change involves danger just the way it is. Every journey involves some level of danger and if you're not okay with that, then go back to your fucking doldrum life and doldrum job and just accept it because it will never get better. But if you can just gather a little bit of courage, just a little bit, just enough to dip your toes in the water and then your ankles and your knees and so forth and so on, pretty soon you'll find that you can change. And well, that's what needs to be done. Yeah, and it is, you know, we've all seen these law of agreement or law of uh, attraction uh, programs out there on Facebook. And it's like, get quick, rich, or get rich, quick schemes. And, and it's like, just do this in three months, you'll uh, have millions. And it's like, well, as you say, it's, it's taking steps where, you are comfortable and what you can believe in about yourself. So you, you don't necessarily need to go and tell your boss to shove it and then walk out the door and go, oh, what do I do now, right? So as you were saying before, you taking those steps that you're comfortable with, taking those steps that you can believe in, in terms of painting that blank canvas, right? You need to start somewhere. So you, you start painting perhaps one corner of it, putting some color to it and 
understanding what you can believe would will be your next step. So for me, the one of the keys has been to set a um, massive transformative purpose. And for me, that is to empower humanity to prioritize uh, purpose, right? And everything I do needs to serve that purpose in some way. So me talking to you allows me to then broadcast this podcast to people that will hopefully help someone to wake up and say, shit, I need to wake up to my purpose. I need to go ahead and actually take a step on uh, on that path as opposed to what I'm doing now. I need to do course correction, right? So it's, and I think from what you've said, it's having being able to look at life and say, you know what, I'm not going to be busy dying. I'm going to be busy living because we're all going to die. As you said, you know, being born is the most dangerous thing you could ever do. Right. And I think once you reconcile with that, there is no danger anymore because as you said, you, you could go and become homeless again today and you'd know that you would work your way back up again. Right. Yeah. It's true. And it's, it's interesting what you talk about when you talk about a lot of those self-help books and new age books and, and whatnot. And I think this is the, the crux of all that. So first off, you got to examine the motives of the people you choose to believe. And a lot of that stuff is very palatable because they want you to believe that everything's okay and you're going to be successful and you just have to do this one thing and buy the book and take the course and you'll be okay. Fact is, it's not true. The fact is that you might really fucking suck. You might be complete shit at something that you think you're good at. And until you can come to grips with that, you will not get past that point. And this is the problem. They can't go on TV. They can't go on the internet and look you in the face and say, dude, you fucking suck. You're a complete asshole. Like, you are shit. Because that doesn't sell books. It doesn't sell courses. People just click over to the next TikTok video or the next thing. They have to tell you how great you are. They have to tell you how much potential you have, how much untapped potential you have that if only you could buy this book, you could achieve. Mm. Here's the thing. You might suck. You might be an asshole. You might be terrible at what you think you're good at, what you think you're great at. But if you can self-reflect and if you can realize that, and you don't need a book, you don't need anybody telling you anything to realize this. If you can realize that and then work on it, great. Even if you don't work on it, just realizing that you suck at something, you might be like, all right, well, I'm really bad at this thing, but look at this other thing I'm really great at. I'm going to focus on the low-hanging fruit now. I'm going to do more of this. And this thing that I'm really bad at Joe over there is really good at it. So I'm going to hire Joe. I'm going to make him my friend, and I'm going to have him do the stuff I'm bad at. Now you become a superpower. Now you become Elon Musk. Now you become Jeff Bezos, and you approach that potential. My friends that I know, Christopher, that are millionaires, a couple of them that are billionaires, they're really shit at most things, myself included. I am fucking terrible at 
most things. I sometimes look at some of the stuff that I do and I'm like, holy shit, I was fucking bad at that. I think I'm a smart guy. I'm fucking terrible at most of these things. There's a couple things I know that I've discovered through self-reflection that I'm really fucking good at. I'm a great brander. I'm a great marketer. I'm a great storyteller. And I'm fantastic in the physical product space and the Amazon space. I'm good at that stuff. Pretty much everything else, I'm a complete abject failure at. I'm also pretty good at influence. I'm good at that. But knowing that, I have great people around me. I can bring on all the people who can do the things that I can't do. And that's why myself, my organization, we grow and we become more powerful together. All the people in my course, everybody contributes. That's why we built a mastermind around Amazon Mastery. So all the people that are in there now are at different levels of their entrepreneurial journey, starting Amazon businesses, starting e-commerce businesses, people from all over the world. I've got people in South Africa, people in England, people in Sweden, people in Spain, people all over the world are now starting these businesses and helping each other to grow and expand. And I really like that. That's the thing that inspires me the most these days. So the, I'm going to um, want to move into talking a little bit about the kind of the motivation of the Amazon businesses, um, because it is really interesting to see the, the, the kind of people that you work with. But uh, when you talk about, like you were saying that you know, people sell books in order to, or they tell you how wonderful you are in order to sell books, right? Um, one tool I use with uh, a lot of my clients uh, at the very beginning is uh, Ikigai. I'm sure you're familiar with it, right? So what is looking at, Iki- sorry? Ikigai? Sorry, Ikigai, I missed what you yes. said. Ikigai. I don't know Ikigai. Okay, so it's a Japanese concept where essentially you look at what am I good at? What do people want? What do people need? And what can I make money off? And you find the sweet spot between those four, and that can then become your purpose. And you use that as you're building that uh, aspect of it. Now, for me, for example, uh, running an Amazon business would not be my, my cup of tea. You know, I, my cup of tea is talking to people and helping people in terms of uh, their growth and doing what you're doing in terms of teaching people uh, to do what they need to do and what, to do what they are really good at doing, right? So now when we look at a lot of the people that you work with, coming up with the products and all of that, I understand that, you know, you come up with a either a product that is uniquely uh, serving a, a segment of the market uniquely, or you go into a crowded market space and you just you know, compete the heck out of everybody else. Uh, what's, what do you find the motivation is for most of the people that you work with? Is that to find that financial freedom or is it to s- provide good products? What are you know, the ultimate uh, motivator? amongst your clients that you work with. Yeah, well, I can tell you what the common link is, what the common link that ties all my students together, and it's that they're seeking freedom. They want to live a life where they can take ownership of their most valuable asset, their hours, their time. We know we all have the same amount of hours. I've been looking for more for the past 46 years. 
doesn't happen. We all have the same amount of time. So how do we maximize the time that we have? And that's we stop selling our hours. We start creating businesses. We start creating streams, multiple streams of recurring revenue that can bring us the lifestyle that we want. And that's what I teach people to do. It's pretty simple. I teach them foundational thinking. I teach that you need to have not just your Amazon e-commerce business. That's one leg of the table. You might have to have a job. You might have to have a career. You might have to drive Uber or do Postmates or do something so that you have stability. That's another leg of the table. Then another leg of the table is you need to be doing something that's bringing compound interest, investing then you also need to have another leg of the table that's cash flow positive real estate more millionaires made in real estate than most other things so when people have this well-rounded attitude of slow finance and that i'm going to make money in time and build this foundational thinking you're good yeah it's a the diversification of your life's portfolio as it were yeah as opposed to uh most people, they go out, they get a job, uh, a good job, quotation marks, and, and then they get a mortgage and then they save money. And that's the diversification of their portfolio in terms of their life. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You need to, especially now after COVID, it becomes more and more apparent. And I think COVID has probably served your business quite well in terms of uh, teaching people how to... Uh, essentially you know in this in these times uh, uh, pandemics uh, secure their lives so that when they are put on furlough because the whole system shuts down there are alternatives they have alternative streams of income right have you seen that kind of a development in uh, your business as well it's been the single largest boost of business for e-commerce sellers mm-hmm. since the inception of the internet. COVID has changed the landscape of how people buy things, when people buy them, and why people buy them. And for savvy marketers and like people in my Amazon Mastery course, they know how to take advantage of that. Sure, it's been terrible. A lot of lives were lost. A lot of people got hurt and sick from COVID-19. And, you know, there's no question about that it was a uh, terrible, uh, you know, disease that passed around or, and maybe still circulating, but for business, look around more wealth has been created in just this last couple years from COVID than the last 20 years combined. And the shift and balance of wealth is now changing. So I tell people often, do you want to be on this side of history where you're prospered from this or do you want to be on the other side of history where you suffer from this and that answer is obvious to most people well i don't think yes it is obvious when you put them up against the wall but when they are there on the threshold about to take off uh, take action it becomes less obvious I that's what I think you that's when you see more people than not kind of uh, take a step back and say, uh, you know what, I'm not ready to. And it's a matter of stepping into their, uh, their, their own greatness. And I think that is more than the fear of failure. 
it's the fear of, uh, of uh, stepping into their own greatness that holds a lot of people back because they mm. can't see themselves in that. And they, they just visualizing themselves as uh, a billionaire, for example, is yeah. scary to a lot of people because they're like, how am I going to get there? And it's, I tell my clients, you know, focus on the whys and visualize the what's and don't worry about the house. The house will, as long as you take steps towards the what's and you have the why within you, you know, the why being the emotion and the feeling that drives you, the motive, or the passion, the purpose, and so forth, and you visualize in terms of what you want to do, then don't worry about the house. But I think a lot of people stop because they go, I have a comfortable or I have a safe, quote unquote, safe job. Uh, why am I supposed to take this risk? And is this kind of, you know, it's, I talked about that in uh, last week's uh, recording on the podcast uh, with narrow framing people and a loss aversion as well. You know, people view a risk on its own merits as opposed to the whole picture of it and all the opportunities that are behind it. So instead, instead of taking a bird's eye view, they just look at the, the uh, one aspect of that risk. Quitting your job, I'm going to lose my income, I'm not going to be able to eat, I'm going to die. Yeah. Most people don't realize how far away they are from that. That's, that's super cool that you mentioned that because I remember my mentor was one of those guys who, my first mentor, I write about him in my book, who had a sit down with me and had me go through that entire process of, you know, cause I was in a little bit of a panic mode. I was like, man, I can't just be eating nothing. You know, I, I, I need to like get full meals. I need to start, you know, working towards my prosperity. And he said, okay. And I said, well, you know, if I don't do this, all these terrible things are going to happen. He said, okay, then what'll happen? I said, well, then I won't have any money and I won't have any food to eat. Then what'll happen? Well, then I'll starve and I'll die. And I was like, Thinking about that, I remember in those days, and I was like, man, I've never starved, still haven't died. There's quite a distance between where I am now and starving and dying. And people don't realize that because it's, it's fear. It's fear rearing its ugly head. Absolutely. It's anxiety rearing its ugly head. Most people are so far away from something like that, but they probably have some past trauma that is clouding, and this is not my area of expertise at all, so we don't have to talk too much about this, but I think, you know, there's probably some area of trauma in their life that's blocking them or preventing them perhaps from uh, taking that step. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thankfully, it is uh, one of the areas that I work within, so <laughs> yeah. we can talk yeah. about it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is that... Uh, in psychotherapy, we talk about uh, original sensitizing event, uh, and it could be just a small thing like uh, your parents yelling at you when you're eight years old for spilling a glass of milk. And now, because you don't understand the uh, concept of uh, original thought, you think to yourself, oh, I can't do anything right. And you think everybody else is thinking that because you're thinking that. Now, that yeah. becomes then part of a pattern within you and then it embeds in your subconscious and it now becomes your core wounding and it now shows up and you act out from that core wounding throughout your life uh, you know i can't do anything right and the you know a lot of 
perfectionists come from that uh, school of thought and uh, kind of training as it were or programming conditioning however you want to look at it so uh, yeah we've actually started a uh, uh, a course program called uh, the infinity life uh, to help people uh, develop to or, uh, to give people tools and practices to help them help them uh, start uncovering and clearing out their core woundings to uh, face that fear and move past it uh, so that that is something that i work a lot with in uh, in my coaching practice as well Come and on. it is it is that fear you know and it's but it ultimately and i've written quite extensively on articles on this that fear ultimately is the fear of dying so mm. if you take away the fear of dying then you say, okay, what am I fearful of now? Well, there is nothing else to fear. Because if, you know, if I don't make enough money, well, then what will happen? Well, in worst case scenario, I die, but, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> I can yeah. move, move past the fear. And I, I, feel, I feel that's uh, kind of what's benefited you in your process is that, unhealthy and oh, not unhealthy <laughs> the healthy disregard for uh of fear you don't look at fear as something that you delve into it's something that yes i'm not going to jump off a cliff without a, a, a parachute but at the same time i'm going to take this risk because i know the rewards on the other side are worth it yeah you're right i know before this interview you and me were talking about your ancestry. And I know you're Swedish and we were talking about the Vikings and it was funny. I was on this, uh, I was on the show with this guy and there was a, it was like a panel show. And one of the guys was like talking about how bad COVID-19 was and how scared he was of it. And I said, look, you know, I know it's not, it's not a great thing, but it's nothing to be scared of. What's the worst that could happen? And he was like, well, uh, and I said, what's the worst that could happen? You could die. Like, is that, is that the worst thing? He's like, well, no, uh, you could uh, live, uh, you know, you could be uh, diseased. And I just said, man, you know, I, I get it. I get that you like that, but that's not how we live. And I use the Vikings as an example. Mm. They're fucking fearless, man. You know, though for them, dying wasn't the worst thing that would happen. It would be dying a cowardly death yeah. would be the worst thing that would happen. They were fucking, it was glory, man. Valhalla, you know, they're, 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 they'd be greeted by the Valkyries and be ushered off if they died courageously. So they were swords drawn, seeking courageous death. Yeah. And similarly in business and entrepreneurship in any of the endeavors that people take, that's what I encourage them to do. And I'm sure you do the same thing. It's like, go out there and fucking seek failure. Mm -hmm. Go out there and try to fucking fail. Don't, don't do it stupidly. Don't do stupid things. Use your intuition. Use all the elements of influence. Go intelligently into things. Use all the tools that you have at your disposal. Use excellence as your sword. Go out there, but fucking go out there and try to fail. Yeah. And if you do, you're going to fucking die in battle. And that's okay because in the case of entrepreneurship and in the case of, of personal development, you come back stronger. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I, I like your analogy and uh, metaphor there. It's uh, beautifully, beautifully put. You're a great storyteller for sure. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 
looking at the the, the process of failure, I mean, uh, I love the uh, the saying they have in the Silicon Valley with the fa fail fast, fail off, and fail forward, right? And it's failure is just another step on the way to, on your process to success, right? And it's if you can, people can get that into their mind because we stand when we look at the prospects of failure, we oftentimes we look at the gap, the timing gap between where we're at and the point of failure. And we look, we, as humans, we tend to conjure up the worst scenario of what we uh, catastrophe think our way to the failure. As opposed to uh, then taking into mind that, you know what? What elements can I control on this journey? Very few of them. I can only control how I feel, uh, how I think, how, how I speak, and how I act. So, how am I going to react to this process on that way to that failure? If if the failure uh, is the failure ever inevitable? No, absolutely not. But your reaction and how you think and feel on the way to that point, where there is a potential uh, potentiality for failure that you control and that you can then come to that point and you can have a, had a wonderful time and you fail. So you fail wonderfully. But the beautiful thing is that you learn from that failure as well. Yeah, it's true, man. It's about getting around fear. Yeah, and it's being able to go through that process and not worry so much about what's coming and just i tell my clients all the time you know don't think you can control all the elements around you you can control your words your thoughts your actions so how you're going to react to to any situation that comes up if you're triggered by something ask yourself why am i triggered you know instead of acting out from that trigger stop Discovering, you know, it's about self-discovery. It's about self-awareness. You were talking about intuition there. Um, can we talk a little bit about your thoughts around intuition and, you know, where yeah. does it come from? How does it work uh, and so forth? It's, it's funny because I was going through your list of podcasts, listening to your podcast, because I like to see whose show I'm on before I get on. It's a <laughs> novel concept these days for people who go on shows. And I noticed that you and me have a lot of the same topics because I talk about synchronicity and intuition and a lot of these things on, on our podcast as well. We have a show called Hack and Grow Rich, which if you guys are watching this, uh, Christopher invited me to be on his show, but we'll be rebroadcasting this on Hack and Grow Rich as well. So if you guys are watching on Chris's show, make sure you subscribe and like uh, to ours and also to Chris's show as well. Chris, what's the name of your show again? The Alchemy Experience Podcast. The Alchemy Experience podcast. Well, uh, um, I will put the links in uh, my show notes, uh, how to reach yours as well. So people yeah, can just thanks. click on the link. Yeah, yeah. Just hack and grow rich. Spotify, yeah. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Yeah. So check it out and and the Alchemy Experience. So here, here's, here's the thing with intuition. And I've spent years thinking about this. And I am not a believer in a lot of the new age, woo-woo, psychic, this, that, and the other. What I am a believer in is that I do not know everything mm. and that there are things beyond my ability of understanding. And 
one of the things that I've cultivated in recent years, I used to be just mega skeptic, and I decided that I need to cultivate a new characteristic, and that's one of suspending judgment. It doesn't mean that I believe all the bullshit that people say. Most people <laughs> believe the bullshit that serves them. So if somebody tells you something like, you're going to be rich and famous, people love believing that shit. That's all psychics tell people. And then they'll involve an element of danger where they'll be like, but there's danger along the way. It's all the same story. I can't believe people pay for that stuff, but they do. It's worked for millennia. The, the fact is that there are certain elements within our biology within our genetics that know something that goes beyond our conscious understanding of how things work. That's the place where intuition lives. The problem is that our conscious mind can get in the way. Mm -hmm. There's a great book written, I think, I'm going to say he's Swedish, I'm not sure, he might be Swiss. His name is Rolf Dobelli, and he wrote this book called The Art of Thinking Clearly. I recommend this to everybody who is interested in the topic of intuition. Why? Because The Art of Thinking Clearly is a book on cognitive biases, on the things that we believe to be true that may not be, and why we think of that. It's about the cognitive fallacies that we have. Why is that important? Because if you can understand why you believe things that may or may not be wrong, but those things may be wrong, you can start to hone your intuition. So flow and synchronicity are woven into the concept of intuition. You can't separate them. Why? Because when we enter into what Chikset Mihai, who passed recently, who wrote the book Flow, yeah, have you read that? Yes, yeah, great book. I have it on my desk here. <laughs> uh, yeah, and a lot of the research that came from his book, the work of Stephen Kotler, uh, The Art of the Impossible, his new book, another great book that, that people who've really researched and studied flow, something happens when our brains click. Something happens when our brains click into that mode of flow, into that feeling of being weightless in the world and being able to travel effortlessly through whatever journey we are experiencing that causes this activation in our body, in our mind, and I'm going to say in our spirit, even though I know that's, that's a little bit more woo-woo, but... I'm perfectly it, fine with that. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it causes an, an activation that enables us to activate this almost prehistoric genetic sense of knowing. That's what I believe intuition is. So you might get this feeling and you don't know why. Now, scientists could try to explore this and discover it. It could be that through time, our peripheral vision has adapted to look more this way. And in the past, we could look more peripherally. So you're walking down an alley and you get a weird feeling. You don't know that your vision is adapted to seeing danger because your ancestors had to see a lion coming from 20 miles away. And now you don't have that ability, but there's a little bit of it left in your genetics. I don't know the reasons for that. Obviously, I'm not a scientist. I have the sophistication of a chimpanzee and not a very smart <laughs> one on most days. But the, the fact is, 
that you don't really have to do anything. If you can focus on excellence, on being in flow, on, on not having conflict when it's not necessary, not being afraid of conflict, but just doing you, living your life to the best of your ability and trying to seek excellence, trying to get yourself into that flow state, you'll start to notice feelings and the way things feel, and you can operate in that sense. I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I'm, I'm just a beginner, just a student, uh, only been doing it for a few years now. But one of the things that I learn on the mats in martial arts, and I've done martial arts since I was 13, is that you, at some stage, have to stop thinking and yeah. start to just feel the movements. You have to start feeling the, the feeling in the room. You have to feel how your opponent feels. And there's no explanation for that. There might not be a reason why you know, hey, this guy might be more aggressive in this position than in that position, or I need to be quick on this move. But eventually, when you start to learn the feeling, you can have the ability, and, and this is, goes for business, for, for all of life's journeys, is that you can start operating on that level. A, a, a good friend of mine who passed was a famous author, this guy uh, named Stuart Wilde. He wrote this book called The Trick to Money is Having Some. He would oftentimes, and, and Stuart was a, a mentor to me in a lot of ways, he would teach us about going to a place and just observing and then following your feelings. So you follow what it feels like to be in a special environment. And it, it, I'm not talking about just woo-woo. How, how are the clothes on these people? Is there something wrong? Are their shoes tattered? Is, is, does this person smile at you, but underneath that smile showing teeth, showing these micro expressions? There's a lot of these things that we don't fully understand consciously that we can learn by honing and sharpening this ability of intuition. I don't usually talk about this stuff uh, when I do podcasts. So it's, it's interesting for me to uh, be able to uh, sort of develop these ideas as we speak. So thank you. Yeah, for no, no, I, I, I do. I mean, that, that's the understanding or kind of the exploration of consciousness and uh, energy, subtle energy uh, is kind of part of my life's work. And, uh, uh, you know, exploring the possibilities that we as humans have uh, at our evolutionary stage where we're at. Um, uh, so I appreciate you, you, you're humoring with the, me with the going down this route. And uh, yeah, what, what, one thing I work with my clients on is to, and I do this, uh, I run a, a psychometry class uh, every other week uh, where we, practice to observe ourselves from our awareness and it's that place of observation that you're talking about so in for example in martial arts if you think about the move that you're going to make or the other guys can make you've lost you get beaten down no problem <laughs> so you have to anticipate it has to come from a different place it has to come from that flow and that oftentimes is when your awareness is somewhere else but your head but your thought process um, so when we're doing psychometry for example it is understanding uh, your baseline in terms of your experiences so your 
taste, smell, hearing, thoughts, uh, emotions, uh, sensations in your body, uh, all of these things, if you observe yourself from the point of uh, your awareness, you're able to observe it all at once. And whatever is a change to that baseline, you can then ask the question, huh, interesting, where does that come from? And that is part of the process of developing that intuition. And uh, so for my clients, I always harp on work on observing yourself from your awareness, because then you can, when you have those emotions coming up, you can go, hmm, I have anger coming up. And rather than your thoughts perpetuating that anger, by uh, engaging with it, you say, hmm, I wonder where the anger comes from. So you allow the anger to come up. And this is part of the problem with humanity today. We don't have the emotional intelligence to recognize anything beyond, you know, happy, sad, and pissed off, right? And, but when we allow these emotions to uh, kind of uh, go through us and allow ourselves to experience them, we can actually develop and understanding from them, we understand, oh, this is this type of emotion and you get the spectrum on it. And that increases your empathy as well, because then you can recognize that emotion in someone else. So our lack of empathy is often because we don't understand our own emotions, so we can't recognize it in others, right? And it's that observing that from a point of view where you don't, you don't judge your own experience, you just allow it to be. So it's a very Buddhist kind of thought process. but. Uh, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Suspend judgment. Makes sense. There's value, you know, to knowing that you don't know everything, to yeah. knowing that there's things you don't know and just letting them be. I like that. Yeah. And oftentimes when, when I uh, move into the territory of doubt, the un I, uh, to, in order to move myself out, I think, okay, how big is the universe? Well, we don't know. It's probably infinite. Okay. If it's infinite, what are the possibilities that I am this soul being having this human experience and I'm far more powerful than I could ever imagine? Well, there must be infinite. So therefore, even though I might, my monkey brain and my monkey, you know, understanding of consciousness is very narrow and very dumb in the, in the grand scheme of, scheme of things, I understand that there is a possibility, an infinite possibility for anything to be able to come true at any time. You know, take technolo uh, technological advancement where we are today, go back 500 years, and that would be magic, right? So science yeah. is also uh, evolving and moving forward. Uh, you know, the Large Hadron uh, uh, Collider down uh, in uh, northern Italy and Switzerland they just uh, last week, I think it was, they came out with um, some a new thesis on a new force in the universe. So, you know, these things are just things that we haven't discovered yet, or we haven't we haven't developed tools to measure them. Uh, so, being able to you know shift your consciousness into a locale somewhere else, like remote viewing, for example, that is we have anecdotal evidence for it. But there's no way for us to measure it scientifically uh, with empirical data as it, is, as it stands right now. So um, I find it super exciting to 
kind of explore these aspects and, um, as you say, suspend disbelief, because then anything becomes possible. And that also goes for your own life. So if anything is possible, I can be anything. Yeah. Within my ikigai, as it were. It's true. Right? Cool. So in terms of uh, the, the motivation of success, is there anything else that you feel you know, is important for people that want to move on into the next stage of their lives? You know, should, they, should everybody uh, do products on Amazon, for example? Not, not everybody. It's not going to be right for everybody. For a certain group of people who are looking to create recurring revenue streams, who want to stop selling their hours, who aren't afraid of putting in the, the work to build that business, it makes sense. For other people, it just might not be in their ethos. Like you said, hey, you want to empower people person to person. That's what you do. It might not be right for you. So it just depends on, on, on who you are. But at the end of the day, I tell people this. Be authentic. Go out there and seek authenticity. I know another topic of one of your podcasts, mine as well. I think that's one of the keys. You know, just stop putting on these fucking masks and these projections of yourself. Just be authentic. Be vulnerable. Be a real fucking person. There's really not much more to sales and influence than authenticity. And people can, talking about intuition, people can smell that. When you see somebody and you're like, man, I really like that person's vibe. Generally speaking, it's because that person is being true to who they are. They're being authentic. Some people will love them. Some people will hate them. Some people will be ambivalent. But at the end of the day, they are an authentic person. The second component that I would share would be, man, don't work don't work in a vacuum. It's one of the most common experiences that entrepreneurs make. Find a mentor, find a, uh, somebody who has been or ha- is where you want to be and get them to help you, to train you, to coach you, or join a mastermind, a mastermind group. I think people in my course, Amazon Mastery, and by the way, for a- anybody who's listening or watching your podcast, Chris, um, I've got a, a one-hour course that teaches them everything about Amazon from A to Z, how to get reviews, how to start an Amazon business, all that stuff from anywhere in the world. Um, it's normally 200 bucks. Anybody who's listening to the Alchemy Experience, your show, I'm going to give them that for free. If you guys just reach out to me, I'm going to give my email. You can email me directly. Is D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Mention Alchemy in the subject heading and that you want the course for free. And I will give you the $200 course for free. But at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. Again, my goal is to impact people. At the end of the day, and by the way, for that, you don't need a credit card. There's no obligation. If I can empower you to start a business uh, or start another stream of revenue, I'm happy. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is that you need to have people around you that encourage you, that inspire you, that can help you rise to the level that you know you can achieve. And if you find yourself around people that are disbelievers, people who, and, and sometimes it's people in your family that you, you can't avoid, just shut the fuck up. Just stop talking about where you want to be and find people who will believe in you and your vision. 
And if you don't know where to look, give me a give me a call. Check me out, shaheenshan.com. Go to fbasellercourse.com. Reach out to us. I'm sure he'll include it. Christopher will include Absolutely. it in the show notes. Reach out to us. Join our group. And, you know, always happy to help people, to help people get inspired to go to where they're going or look up someone like Christopher. You know, I know, Christopher, you do coaching for people, help them find traumas that they have and, and that type of thing. And I think all that stuff can be valuable, but don't work in a vacuum is what I would say in our closing minutes. Yeah, no, and I, I really appreciate that approach of helping people and showing up to be of service uh, and doing so authentically. Um, I think are really important aspects of uh, in today's society. Yeah, um, true. Awesome. Well, I appreciate Shane for you coming along and uh, showing up uh, here at the Alchem Experience uh, podcast, and uh, uh, I appreciate uh, us uh, being part of uh, Hacking Go- Grow Rich uh, podcast as well. So <laughs> we got a double there you go. here. But uh, no, for sure, all of the links will be uh, in the uh, show notes. So for anybody listening, just go uh, to the show notes and have a look. Um, of course, you will be able to uh, find us on the alchemyexperience.co.uk um, and you'll find the show notes there as well. So That sounds great. I appreciate it. Let's freaking do it, man. Let's, let's make things happen. Let's make gold out of lead, water, wine out of water, all that stuff. I'm down. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, buddy. Appreciate, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.